Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. The project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over, well, probably about five years, or however long it takes. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're here for the first time, uh, maybe you've just been looking for some uh, teaching on Genesis chapter 44, why not consider joining the rest of us on this amazing journey through the whole Bible? You can go back right to the start, play catch up for a few days. The early episodes are only uh, six to eight minutes long. And then you'll, uh, within a few months, I'm sure you'll catch up with us and can go on this amazing journey through the whole Bible. We can do that together. So today we're closing off Genesis chapter 44, uh, the second of two studies which look at this reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. Now again, if you're new, there's always a transcript of everything I say available in the episode notes of any audio version of the website. About 98% of people who follow this podcast series do it via the audio version. And that's where you'll find not only episode notes, but you'll find uh, links to other places where you can access my teaching and my ministry and support it if you wish. Well, that's enough for now. We're going to jump off into the main study and close off this chapter 44. And uh, I'll see you at the end just to update you on a couple of things. So bye for now. Okay, so it seems we have finally got to where these brothers have finally got to where they should, they need to be in life, where they should be in life. They've taken responsibility for their previous actions. I think we can say fairly that they've shown some repentance and they've also remained loyal to each other. And that's probably the most important part. And they've demonstrated that loyalty by not abandoning their younger brother, Benjamin, even though at this point, to all intents and purposes, he appears to be guilty of the thing which he's been accused of. In fact, Judah here will offer to take Benjamin's place and become a slave. We shall see that in a moment. But anyway, let's just see how we'll pick up the text from where we were. And this is Joseph responding to what Benjamin has said. It's verse 17. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who is found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you will go back to your father in peace. So this is Joseph speaking to them about the situation and now we hear Judah speaking up on behalf of the brothers and replying to Joseph. Verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered that we have an aged father, and that there is a younger son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he's the only one of his mother's sons left, and the father loves him. So, when reading this, do you remember what this is calling back to? On their first visit, he'd asked them about their father and if they had any other brothers. So he knows the answer to this question. And what Judah is doing now is saying, remember, you asked us that question before, and we told you that we had a father who's an old man and that we had one younger child. But that child 
was born in the very old age. And that child also has another younger brother born to the same mother who's now dead. He's the only one left of that mother and Jacob's original wife. And they both really love that young child. You see, what's happening here is Judah is reminding him of the previous conversation. Remember, he's saying, Joseph and Benjamin have the same mother. Understanding that is a critical part of the story. Judah is explaining, remember how we told you about that situation, how that other brother was dead. And in fairness, they probably did think Joseph was dead, not knowing that he was actually standing before him. And he's saying, our father's really old. And this other child, Benjamin, is born from the same mother. The text then picks up in verse 21. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And he said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servant, unless your younger brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. By the way, notice he's now also referring to their father as Joseph's servant. That's interesting that he's using that terminology because wasn't that exactly what the original dream was about? That they would all bow down to him, the whole family? At any rate, the story continues in verse 24. When he went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our younger brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey hair down to the grave in misery. That's a great line, isn't it? So Judah is now just reporting back everything that was said to him when the family had discussed this situation back in what I call the second conversation of this chapter, back in Canaan. Anyway, verse 30 continues. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is so closely blind up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey hair of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if you do not bring him back to you, I will bear the brain before you, my father, all my life. By the way, it's worth pointing out that this is in fact the longest single speech in the book of Genesis. And what this narrative, this speech is simply doing is reviewing everything that has happened in the narrative so far up to this point. Most of which, of course, Joseph already knew. But what it is really doing, it's demonstrating Judah's loyalty to his brother Benjamin and to the whole family. And that, of course, is what Joseph wanted and needed to see. He wanted to see that these brothers, who had been a disparate bunch of characters when he was young, had learned to stick together and they had learned particularly to show loyalty not only to each other but to their youngest brother, his brother Benjamin. Let's just think back to the beginning of the story for a moment 
When they were young, they were jealous of Joseph. They were envious, they were angry. And Joseph can now see that they have dealt with these issues. They have particularly now just demonstrated their trustworthiness and loyalty to each other as a family. But there's something else Joseph needs to see. He needs them to demonstrate that they have dealt with the real root problem. You see, they might have been willing just to bring him back, uh, Benjamin, back into Egypt because they were starving and they wanted the food. Remember, that's this whole thing was about food and the background of a famine. So what they need to do is demonstrate that they have dealt with the root problem of the issues, which was jealousy and envy of their brother. And so he's using Benjamin, Joseph's using Benjamin as a test case to see if he can get to the core and see if they'll demonstrate their loyalty to their brother Benjamin. And that's what's going on here. Let's just close out the chapter, because the chapter closes out by Judah saying, in verse 33 and 34, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Do not let me see the misery that will come to my father. So this is the point we've got to. And it's incredible. Judas basically saying, I'll make a deal with you. And the deal is simply this. I'll stay and be a slave. I'll pay for the crime. I'll be the substitute. Only please, I beg you, let Benjamin go back. Because if you don't, it will kill my father. So this thoroughly demonstrates that Judah is a transformed man. One author I read said this was supreme proof of Judah's repentance and the moral high point of his whole life. And it was demonstrated by his willingness to trade places with Benjamin and remain in Egypt as a slave. Also, it's worth noting that this is the first incidence of human substitution in the scripture. Now, Jesus Christ, who is, of course, Judah's descendant, will demonstrate the ultimate high point of this characteristic in the New Testament. But Judah here has not only now demonstrated his trustworthiness, he's demonstrated his loyalty to his family, but he's also demonstrated that his identity with the family is at such a point that he would take Benjamin's place, take the punishment for the crime that supposedly Benjamin had committed. But he didn't, remember, he hadn't actually done it. So he would do that in order that they could send Benjamin back to their father. I can't read this without thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ also died in our place and became a substitute and the fact that he did it and he died for our sins. And in our case, of course, we were guilty of those sins and he was not. This means he was our substitute. Instead of us dying, he died in our place. And that's the kind of thing that has been prefigured here for the first time in the Bible. So what we're seeing here is a real spiritual change. A whole spiritual metamorphosis has taken place in the life of Judah. His heart has been changed, transformed for the better. He has gone from being someone who originally callously engineered the selling of Joseph to strangers, to slave traders, motivated by envy and anger, 
and he's now become someone who's willing to become a slave so that the rest of his brothers, especially Benjamin, can go free and be allowed to return to Canaan to rejoin their father. Wow, what a transformation. Okay, we've reached the end of the narrative contained within this episode, in other words, this chapter. Now, there'll be more to come in the overall story, but this episode itself, this particular point, is closed off, and that's why people put a chapter break in. And it's, a, it's reached a very critical point in the story, but it's also a place where we can underline it a bit and help draw out some of those critical points on the subject of reconciliation and what we might learn from it. I don't know of any other passage of scripture that gives as much detail about the progress of reconciliation between people as this chapter does. I know of no other more helpful piece of scripture that goes into such detail about how you can reach a point of reconciliation between two alienated parties. The whole story won't be concluded until the next chapter or so, but it's worth pausing and asking what have we learned out of this chapter that we can apply in our lives? What can we gain from it? So I'd like to sum up this chapter by saying that in order for anyone, for any group of people, for any parties to be completely reconciled, then all the offenders need to demonstrate not only their trustworthiness, as was done here in this chapter, they have to have to demonstrate they have dealt with the issue that caused the alienation in the first place. The spiritual cause, if you like, the root cause, if you like, which in this case was the jealousy and the envy and the disloyalty amongst these young brothers, particularly to the youngest brother, Joseph. So what this chapter tells us is that all these men, who are, of course, being led by Judah, have been completely transformed and changed. These brothers, who were not loyal to each other at all at the beginning, have become loyal. They've dealt with their own particular sins, and it would appear to me that they've really dealt with them at the deepest level. And that, I say, is really the issue that needs to be dealt with if you're hoping to have complete reconciliation. It's not something that you can just tip your hat at and say, oh, all is forgiven. There needs to be something beyond that, a recognition and a need to demonstrate that you've really addressed and dealt with the root cause of the problem. And in this case, it was envy, jealousy and not being loyal to your own brothers, in this case, blood brothers. So I believe this story teaches us that in order to demonstrate that you've really dealt with the root cause in order to have complete reconciliation, the root cause of any alienation must be resolved. Joseph tests his brother's loyalty here. He particularly tests the family loyalty to Benjamin by framing Benjamin and charging him with stealing from Joseph. Now, they experiencing these events happening to the brothers it brings them to a point where they believe that God is punishing them for something, for their treatment of Joseph from many years earlier. And in a sense, of course, that is true. That is what's happening. But Judah then steps up, pleads for Benjamin with a genuine brother's loyalty. It's such a contrast to the former disloyalty he, as in a sense leader of that group, had shown to Joseph. These brothers 
have really demonstrated practically just how much they've changed and the fact that they are repentant over their sins again in the past and in this case their sins against their brother Joseph. There was now concern for the father. That sort of behaviour had been replaced with genuine concern for the father and a completely self-sacrificing love for the brother, namely Benjamin. Someone has pointed out that believers have been envious and hateful of each other in the past. God may very well sometimes put them through stressful situations just to make them realise how much they need to do in the future to prevent this evil from spreading. God will insist that this is addressed if you expect to move on in your life. So one more time, in order to be completely reconciled, you have to deal with the root problem. And the root problem in this case, as it is in many cases, is envy, jealousy, disloyalty, as opposed to loyalty. And that is the thing that is worked through and replaced and demonstrated as having been worked through and replaced by the new attitude towards Benjamin. Now, as I've gone through the book of Genesis, this is not the first time I've said something like this. Because remember, there's something going on here in the life of Judah. Judah is going to be seen to be a ruler in the future, meaning, of course, that Judah and his descendants are actually going to become kings, rulers in the nation of Israel. So we need to put what happens in this chapter alongside what's going to happen to Judah as soon as a few chapters on, five chapters on, and chapter 49, Judah is going to be chosen. Jacob is, will crown Judah with kingship, and that will occur in, in chapter 49, verse 10. And he's going to do that because Judah has demonstrated that he's become someone who's fit to rule, according to God's idea of what kingship and leadership is like. In fact, you see, the king should always serve the people. And the significance of that, of course, according to the New Testament, in the future, leaders and those in authority, kings as well, should serve the people and be wise. And this becomes particularly important and significant in understanding when we understand in the New Testament, when it talks about Jesus coming back and sets up the kingdom, he's going to choose from among believers those who are going to rule and reign with him. So that begs the question, who will he choose? Under what criteria? On what basis will he make that choice? Now, there are a number of things in the New Testament will tell us and teach us about this, which hopefully we'll get to on this longer, greater journey through the whole Bible. But in the meantime, I think there's at least one thing that is really useful, something that is illustrated very clearly here, and that is the fact that A, the king is not a dictator. He is the one who serves the most. And the one who serves the most is the one who will end up ruling and reigning. That's the truth of the New Testament in its entirety. But this passage back here thousands of years earlier in the Old Testament illustrates that that is, was important right from the beginning. And that is something we need to learn. Now, of course, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see and he is described as the one who came to serve and not be served. So when you serve like he served, that is the criteria by which you are most likely will reign 
after we are called as co-heirs, co-rulers with him in the coming kingdom. So if you want to serve the Lord, then learn to serve like the Lord, by serving others. And if you do, then one day you may reign with him. And I believe that this story prefigures and illustrates that right back here in Genesis chapter 44. Judah is a servant now. He's offering to be a slave at this point. But as soon as in chapter 49, he'll actually become a ruler. And that's what this story is about. Judah has been transformed. The brothers have been transformed. But particularly with Judah, that transformation is so profound that it has qualified him for leadership later on. Judah has been transformed from the one who would sell his brother as a slave to the one who is willing to become a slave for his brothers. What an amazing story. What an amazing transformation. Being transformed from the one who sells his brother into slavery into the one who is willing to become a slave for that same brother. That's what God wants all of us to do. And that's the type of thing that God will reward us with when he returns. And my prayer really is, as we close this chapter off, is that we too can truly be thankful that this truth has been tucked away within what is a very overlooked, sometimes ignored part of the story of the Old Testament and the life of Joseph, but that we, by the Spirit of God, might have the narrative of this story impressed into our hearts that we too are to be servants. We're here to serve. And by serving others, then one day we might just enjoy rulership in the administration of God's heavenly kingdom. Okay, friends, that's it for today. I'll say bye-bye for now. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. I hope you're benefiting from having this study of the Word of God as part of the rhythm of your daily lives. If, as I say, if you want to connect uh, with other teaching and other resources, <clears throat> you've got uh, links there to all the ways you can do that on the episode notes page of any audio version of this podcast. It doesn't matter where you're grabbing your podcasts from, where you're getting them from, uh, whatever provider, there should be an episode notes page within it in which you can connect with the ministry. I particularly want to be thankful for those of you who have committed to join us on this journey. There are many thousands of us now working together through the whole Bible. Uh, but I also particularly want to thank those of you who maybe set aside some time to pray for me and this ministry that I might be continue to be able to provide this resource of what amounts to about 25 minutes of teaching nearly every day. I pray that you might uh, pray that I might be enabled and equipped to do that in every way possible. So thank you once again for joining me. It really is a real encouragement to me to know that we're doing this together. We're a community doing this together. A community who have chosen to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of our daily lives. And if you've done that, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you back here tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow for me anyway, but whatever day it happens to be for you, I'll see you again on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.